Welcome back to our podcast within a podcast, pottering around the mysteriously missing and possibly plastered professor of Mangum Reads. We are three muggles who are actively contemplating the centuries-long sorting hat songbook. My name is Sarah. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, BJ and Spencer. How are you all doing? So on the same page of where I want a sorting hat songbook now. Has J.K. Rowling published that? Just a nonstop list of, you know... Uh, old Possum's Book of Cats for, for, for <laughs> version of, of uh, Sorting Hat songs. So, so I think the the issue that you're going to run into here, uh, specifically you, Sarah, is you're going to start looking at the prose of these songs, <laughs> and hmm, at least the rhyme schemes. Yeah, at least when it's only one of them, you can kind of get caught up in what the song might be. But I, hmm, several hundred of them in a row might become a little problematic. <laughs> I wonder if he ever, well, I wonder if the Sorting Hat ever repeats songs, you know? Is there like a 150-year time limit and you can cycle back through them? Unclear. Precisely precisely every like eight or nine years. Just wait for that crop of students to disappear, then going back to the old I was wondering if he had to wait for professors to disappear or not. Well, I was going to say like when, you know, the last person that heard the song died or something. I feel like that would be the amount of prescience that that the, the hat has. And it's like, all right. Well, that that wizard died. I can do this again. I was going to, well, we do have the ghost of Professor Binns to contend with now, but it is unclear if he ever actually attends any school functions, particularly the sorting ceremony. So we are on chapter, what chapter number are we on? 12? 12, I believe. 12. Um, of Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, the Triwizard Tournament. We have some yes. segments that we do here. We have a rapid fire recap. We have BJ's Wizard Wheezes. We have Newbie's Notes with Spencer. Uh, we award house points. And then there are questions and queries, none of which could possibly apply also, to this chapter. <laughs> none at all. It is fine. Um, mm-hmm. So with that being said, are we ready for the recap? Assuming you are, and uh, first question as always is, do you have a bet? I am going to put in a bet. Um, I am going to go for, as always with these these chapters that are <clears throat> deceivingly non-plot relevant, um, mm-hmm. I am delighted by them and cannot stop talking about them. So I am going to go for the one minute and 55 second bet, because I believe that the summary will in fact take me two minutes. <laughs> This is a bit of a cheating of a bet, but we will accept it if you're ready. I, we are doing this on video now for the first time, I think, in maybe years. years. Uh, so I'm going to hold up the timer to the camera so you can tell exactly where you are. I am are. weirdly nervous about this. <laughs> can, can you see it okay? Yes. Okay, whenever you're ready. <laughs> they dash through the rain into the castle where they are promptly pelted by Peeves the Poltergeist who's armed with water balloons. McGonagall meets them and ushers them into the Great Hall, which is made up to the nines. Harry sits down next to nearly headless Nick, ready to get the sorting over with to get on to dinner when he's accosted by Colin Creevy, whose brother Dennis is starting at Hogwarts, and once the sorting starts, it becomes clear has fallen into the lake on the way over. The new defense against the dark arts teacher is nowhere to be seen, and McGonagall leads the first years in and the sorting hat ceremony or begins the ceremony with a new song. It apparently spends the year making up a new version, because what else do you have to do if you're a hat? 
The sorting moves along, Harry is very happy to catch sight of Cho, and Dennis Creepy becomes a Gryffindor. With the sorting finally over, the feast begins. Nick informs them that Peeves caused a dust-up in the kitchen earlier, letting drop the fact that the Hogwarts kitchens are run by house elves. Hermione glitches out, demanding to know their pay and benefit structure. Nick, similar to Ron, is baffled. <laughs> Hermione goes on a hunger strike immediately. After dinner, Dumbledore begins his start-of-term speech, which includes the fact that Quidditch is off for the year. Instead, there's going to be... But at that moment, a very odd-looking man thunks in, missing a few body parts, one of which has been replaced by a roving magical eye. The new Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher, Mad-Eye Moody. Everyone is sort of stunned by his appearance and demeanor, and Dumbledore moves on as Moody starts drinking from a hip flask. Instead of Quidditch, Hogwarts is hosting the Triwizard Tournament. This centuries-old competition between Hogwarts, Bobaton, and Durmstrang involves three champions and three magical tasks. A string of deaths disbanded the tournament, but they're bringing it back, guys! The would-be champions are arriving in October, and an impartial judge will decide who the competitors will be. While Fred and George immediately uh, plot entering, they're somewhat foiled by the fact that only of-age wizards will be allowed to enter. Dumbledore sends them to bed, and rumors start spreading immediately. Plots enter to enter are hatched, and even Neville thinks he should probably try. Uh, they make it to the common room. Harry's still fuming about, or Hermione's still fuming about house elves, and everyone falls asleep. Harry dreaming of winning the tournament. You did it, I think. I did do it. I, 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 this was actually both nerve-wracking to be able to see the time, but did allow me to cut a sentence out in the middle of my recap <laughs> <laughs> to make sure that I made the time. So, Just under 154. Congrats well done. to me, I suppose. <laughs> um, so that's our first real Hogwarts chapter of the book, guys. Chapter I, 12. Good, good time to have it. Funnier if it had been 13, but, you know, fair yeah. enough. Sure. I guess we do get more about Mad-Eye Moody in Chapter 13, so maybe that's appropriate, <laughs> given the little we know about him so far. Um, mm-hmm. So, BJ, what are you wheezing about today? Um, I have a wide variety of wheezes mm. um, and some other complaints uh, <laughs> in general, which uh, might be aired out here rather than in questions. Mm. Um, so... I'm amused by by certain exposition that seems to be of absolutely no reason. <laughs> like, Harry's like, oh, it's a different song than it was last year. And it's like, well, you've been here for a couple years now. I'm pretty sure it's been a different song every well, year. Well, he does explain that he is not, this is the first time he's been to the sorting since his sorting. Right. Okay. Which I think he probably, like, the song changing, although that actually does become pro- plot relevant in other books weirdly enough mm-hmm. but i do think in this moment it was also kind of an opportunity for rowling to remind the readers that oh right he hasn't yeah. seen a sorting since his own which, which was fun because i had completely forgotten i was like it, when, when he said that line i had to do a change up for it wait right i haven't seen one since the first uh-huh. book huh <laughs> all right awesome um so yeah it was a lot of fun it was sort of interesting how different things were uh highlighted for 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 the different houses mm. um i was kind of amused by that um i also am entertained and kind of curious about like doesn't harry like harry sort of has a little bit more intimate knowledge about the hat than some other people might and it, it kind of is interesting to me how much he's just like i have completely forgotten all the interactions that i've had with this hat otherwise <laughs> remember um, when it thumped a sword on my head i don't <laughs> yeah Lives well, the maybe moment. the thunking yeah. on the head contributed. Actually, to that. this is there are no holes in this plot. This makes perfect sense. Uh, uh, is, this, is this becoming a concussion story now? <laughs> um, always was, Spencer. Oh. So <laughs> we have a uh, maybe he did get hit with a frying pan in book one. Oh, right. And, uh, 
<laughs> so I love that there are sort of very weird self-reflective things that make absolutely no sense. Um, for a fleeting second, Harry had a strange desire to join the Ravenclaw table too. It's like, really? Like strange desire? Like, you know, we don't really understand what's going on here. Okay. Uh, Uh, Harry entering, entering puberty is very confused about what these feelings might be. It's confusing to him, not to us. Isn't he 15? Yeah. Is he? Is he at this point? Year four, they started 11. I guess so. Man, he still feels so 12. Yeah. Um, The forbidden objects. Um, I want to highlight screaming yo-yos, fanged frisbees, and ever-bashing boomerangs. Um, Great choices, great names. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. These are the details I come here for. But I'm very disappointed that they're not yelling yo-yos. Oh, yeah. Fair enough. Good call. Fair enough. Obvious, um, you know, just just simple things like that. <laughs> Low hanging fruit. Um, a, I'm not sure if I would per se consider this a uh, writer's hack, but I do dislike it when when writers and and movies and and other things like that do this, where they mm. start a joke that mm. they don't have a punchline for. Yeah, it's it's such um, a common trope. Yeah. And so we have the uh, a troll, a hag, and a leprechaun walk into a bar, and I mean it's just very on brand about Dumbledore basically hearing somebody say like you're joking, and he's like, well, actually, <laughs> here's here's a good one. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I I, th- I think that McGonagall might not have been far enough into the feast to have been okay with the the punchline. I just I don't really know why. Um, it just seems lazy. That's fair enough. Um, she, it might be a... I, it does seem lazy. I like to believe that McGonagall knew that it was going to end up being a dirty joke because it was Dumbledore <laughs> and decided she needed to cut it off. I, I, it's fun to see in fan bases whenever they're confronted by this moment because I think I feel like this the setup joke that clearly the writer didn't think of a solution happens to almost every prolonged fan base or yes. every long-running show material. I'd mm-hmm. love to see when the fan base comes to a mutual agreement about what the joke was. <laughs> like, clearly yeah. the writer thought of nothing, but the fan base comes together and writes the joke, and then everybody agrees that's what it was. I wonder if they did they... for this one. Mm-hmm. I bet there are, there are people I mean, who are definitely what, what is, It's a troll, a hag, and a... A troll, like, a hag, and a leprechaun. A leprechaun, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I'll get back to you. Hopefully it's some sort of Lucky Charms uh, reference. Oh, MuggleNet has does seem to have something. I'm not surprised at all. So I will, I will uh, see if, it, un- if there is an actual joke or perfect. Um, I mean, there are other here. places that do reference actual jokes. Um, Men that. in Black, for for um, for instance. Okay, here is the first option, which I have not read through. So this is going to be as much as a surprise to you as it is. Please to me. do. <laughs> How all the best jokes so are excited. told. <laughs> Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, a leprechaun, mm-hmm. a troll, and a hag all went into a bar. Benny said the bartenders to the leprechaun, I warned you three not to come back here after the last time. Took, took me weeks to clean up after all the mischief you caused. Oh, but it's Floss's birthday, said Benny, pointing to the hag. She smiled and showed off her one good tooth. Give us a quick pint and let troll, let troll and me sing to her. Then we'll be on our way. Cross me heart and hope to die. The bartender was a soft-hearted and rather soft-headed man, and uh, so he did as Benny asked. No sooner had they finished their drinks when a fight broke out over who should be allowed to give Floss a birthday kiss. 
The troll and the leprechaun wrestled like they were caught in devil's snare and broke a remarkable amount of glassware. The bartender tried every spell he knew to stop them, but nothing worked. Worked, truth to tell, he was not a very good wizard. Meanwhile, Floss the hag stood by, grinning and looking quite pleased with the celebration in her honor. After a lengthy brawl, the troll had the advantage. He towered over the quaking leprechaun, ready to smash an enormous beer barrel over the poor fellow's head. Oh, for pity's sake, said Floss, who was an, also an accomplished witch, Alohomora. With a wave of her wand, Floss opened the sealed barrel, dumping a lovely golden brew over the troll and quite possibly saving the leprechaun's life. Floss, cried the leprechaun, let me thank, thank you with a wee kiss. But the hag shook her tangled tresses of hair and refused him. You see, I'm the one she likes, shouted Troll. He somersaulted to his lady love and tried to gather her in his great arms. But in a blink of a cyclops eye, the hag disapparated and her companions fled. Once again, the bartender was left with a dreadful mess to clean up. His wife, who had witnessed the whole affair, heaved a sigh and began to mop up the ale. Well, my dear, she said, at least we've learned two important lessons. What's that, said her grumpy husband, who was in no mood for philosophical musing. Obviously, the wise and alarmingly cheerful woman continued, a Benny sa saved is a Benny spurned, and a rolling troll gathers no floss. I should have seen that bullet coming right at me, <laughs> but it somehow just didn't occur there in the last few seconds. Well, this, you know, the, better late. Go ahead, BJ. Better Nate than lover. Oh, boy. No, no, not that joke. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this muggle net goes on to say this seems to be weirdly being told from Dumbledore's perspective which is weird um, but goes on to say Dumbledore walking into a bar is not surprising and now you see why Professor McGonagall stopped me from telling this joke in fact she had heard me tell it twice and has threatened me with several unforgivable curses which you don't know what that is yet Spencer if I ever attempt to tell it again in her presence um, <laughs> okay. so there you go a joke that is known as a shaggy dog story in muggle terms so ask and you shall receive Leaving that elaborately built-up pun behind, BJ, do you have any further wizard wheezes for us? Um, Department of International Magical Cooperation and Magical Games and Sports mm -hmm. is the worst use of conjunctions and other things. Two, they in, are two different departments. Name. Okay, so Magical Games and Sports is separate from Department of International Magical Co Cooperation. Yes, I believe so. Okay. Um, because the, the, the Magical Games and Sports is the one that Ludo Bagman runs, and the International okay. Magical gotcha, yeah, Cooperation yeah. is the one that Barty Crouch runs. So we are, as you might imagine, getting those two back again. Um, I like that International Cooperation is European only. <laughs> yeah. it's, mm. it's really mm. on brand. Particularly uh -huh. now. Um, yeah. Um, but yeah, those are those are the main uh, the wheezes that I have for this week. Um, this was a good wheezing chapter compared mm -hmm. to a lot of the previous wheezing chapters that were just like we're on a train. <laughs> it's cool. <laughs> I think as as we are, uh, Rowling is back to be is glad to be back at Hogwarts. Mm -hmm. Yes, Spencer back in her bell yes. as it were. Well, I uh, starting off with newbie's notes, I very much agree that she seems to be happy to be back at Hogwarts, and I am too. And I'm also happy that uh, J.K. Rowling really seems to be coming into herself as a writer, and it really shows in the descriptions that she uses for the characters and the scene mm. setting. Of mm -hmm. where there are so many of the characters of where I knew their names and I knew what their role was, and I had no real image of what they were or how they operated. Mm -hmm. She takes such time and such effort now that they just feel alive and jumping off the page. I mean, from the, from the ghosts to the professors, just the general ambiance of the scenes, 
She is willing to put in the effort and spend the time to paint the picture of what we're entering, and I appreciate it so mm -hmm. much. It makes this world feel so much more alive, so much more lived in, and makes me feel much more a part of it. And that's what I'm... That's, that's one thing I love about the series, and I love how much more she's doubling down on it going mm -hmm. forward. Going from something I love to something I hate, oh god, Colin Creevy is alive. <laughs> I've almost forgotten that was the case. I'd almost been able to write him off, but no, he's there, and he wants us to know it. However... His Does younger he need an autograph? Uh, not this time, apparently, though his younger brother might, but I gotta give I have to give his younger brother Dennis Dennis, I yes. Think, credit that that is the most infectious enthusiasm I've yet seen in this book. I that kid I'm gonna take a I fell into a lake. A one one quick second and do a spoiler for my house points. Dennis is in fact the winner of house points for this chapter. <laughs> he had the greatest day ever. Yeah. I mean him given him just wrapped up in a moleskin cloak of Hagrid's, just being carried in as this tiny little just shivering mass, and then giving the you know two thumbs up salute, mm -hmm. just how utterly excited he is to falling in a lake, is just wonderful. <laughs> it is great. I was just smiling ear to ear when that happened. He had a great day. Yep. He had a really good day. Uh, the sudden appearance of a Professor Sinastra caught me entirely off guard and reminds me there are so many professors that are just off camera. Mm -hmm. The camera is focused here, and if you just turn a little bit to the left, there's an entire faculty that apparently we have just never met. Yeah. And departments. I mean, the Department of Astronomy, which I was a little surprised yeah. about. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I mean, there, there's so much that feels like it would have been worth exploring at some point or maybe in the future it will be yeah. mm -hmm. in terms of like what else is at the school um i guess my complaint is it sort of feels like we're filling in the details as it needs to be fleshed out as opposed to things are introduced as uh they're more relevant but they were always there yeah right fair enough jk rowling has a uh, kind of a rolling tendency that foundational details will be revealed as they are necessary for you to know mm -hmm. them Mm -hmm. It's almost like a fog of war aspect, like when you're exploring a video game, is that you don't need to know there's a shop 100 yards away. It will emerge from the mist once you get a little bit closer to it. That's that's like the funniest way to describe an author like fleshing out this series. It's like they're in a complete fog about it, too. And it's just like, oh, yes, and that's a thing, too. There it is right there. You just mm -hmm. didn't see it because we weren't there yet. Yep, yep, yep. There's a, there's a limited line of sight that our characters operate under. Just accept that that's the case. Uh, are you making fun of Harry's nearsightedness? I I am allowed. We are all allowed. This is a cross we all bear. Um, also, when do we think we he last got his uh, prescription tested? Anyway, oh God, never. Man, that, man, yeah, that's. An I don't think they can do that in the Wizarding World. So they'd have. And to, I just wonder, like, when the Dursleys by... would, yeah, think to do that. Oh wow, this is horrible. That man is blind as a bat. He's suffering from nonstop migraines and eye strain. Uh, Harry not, a not attending the Sorting Hat ritual caught me completely off guard, but it's entirely mm -hmm. accurate, and I just hadn't thought about mm -hmm. it. Of where I com and it also made me just completely forget how utterly delightful this this scene is. Just the Sorting Hat ceremony and the hat doing its one job at this school <laughs> is just wonderful, and everybody has a blast except for the Weasleys. Apparently, the Weasleys are n either not having fun or having fun in the wrong way during the course of this entire <laughs> ceremony. I think that, that sums up the Weasleys, yeah. having fun in the wrong way. Yeah, Ron's being a dick, and just like, hurry it up, I'm hungry. Meanwhile, Fred and George are just openly booing people as they're getting sorted. They are it's having a great time. Thing. 
They're having a great time, but it's just the worst thing ever. This is this kid's happiest day in the world. And is half the room is cheering, and suddenly in the back of their head they're realizing there's a person booing them across the room, and they don't know why yet. George. Yeah. It'll become clear. It's 100% George. Like. Yeah. Uh, I also want to clarify something right now, just of how much this gave me just outright whiplash. The kraken that lives in the lake is friendly? Uh-huh. <laughs> it pushes students back on boats when they fall in? And it sometimes comes up in on warm days, it comes up to the surface and just sort of sunbathes at the top of the lake. And wants pets. Uh, I have a pretty firm foundation in mythology, <laughs> Norse mythology originally, uh, in Lord of the Rings, characters and backgrounds, and even in, you know, Jules Verne. This did not give me a good enough perspective to be able to predict that that was the case about this particular kraken. Well, every so often it demands uh, some money. About three fifty. Oh God. <laughs> I, I mean, I think we're pulling. She's pulling from a sli- like some slightly different uh, areas and and mythologies for for this one, rather than. I understand we're working from a different background here. It just. I'm working through it. I'm working through it. Uh, Dumbledore's speeches are a national treasure. I love just how little he gives a shit. It, like, you, you referred to, you know, his, you know, introduction, talking about Nestle Almonds. No, 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 that wasn't the speech. No. The speech was, tuck in. <laughs> That's so in keeping with every speech he's offered previously. Mm-hmm. <laughs> also, I adore, and I think we actually kind of missed this a bit for like a book and a half, but when J.K. Rowling just takes the effort to, des- to describe that Dumbledore is just styling. Yes, we did get, we both got his uh, sort of fashion sense in this chapter, as well as a weird scene of him just staring at the ceiling for a while. Yeah, <laughs> zoned out. Uh, which felt um, felt very true to character. Now, I've discussed a list of things I've loved that J.K. Rowling has done, how much I'm appreciating her as a writer. I'm not going to say something I did not like mm-hmm. because of how utterly fake it felt of where Hermione apparently learns for the first time there are house elves at Hogwarts. Mm-hmm. Bull goddamn shit did she not know there would be house elves at Hogwarts. This girl She's not was... a Hufflepuff. She never she went, never near, went the near the kitchens. Are you telling me there's not a single written record? Because that girl knows the provenance you of You would think that it would have been in Hogwarts a history at some point. Yes! It's just like, as a general, just, you know, list of faculty or list of, uh, not even faculty, list of, uh, <laughs> of, pro- of physical property on site. Something would have mentioned that, particularly if if, if uh, nearly headless Nick is correct that it's like the largest single collection of house elves in Britain. Although you know, <laughs> I like there how you is call like... them a collection. <laughs> oh yeah, d- 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 BJ, what is the collective, the term for collective house elves? Oh, we get to invent this now. <laughs> a subjugation. Oh, oh, perfect. Well God, done. It's yeah, canon like now. That. That's. <laughs> so, I- I'm enjoying this plotline of you know. Hermione on her quest for manumission of house elves, but it this element feels really damn fake. This is a moment of where it's being should be revealed to the reader, but not treat a character who would obviously be in the know on sure. this as a necessary conduit of that. That's that's fair. Because if if anyone would know that here, it would be Hermione. Mm-hmm. Ron, Ron and Harry totally. No, they, they would have, have no idea. Shit, but Hermione would know that. Guess who? Uh, this is a little bit of a spoiler. I don't think it came up in this chapter because I don't think they were specifically talking to them but guess who did know that fred and george why yeah okay that one good good call they have been in the kitchens Uh they have known things 
I mean, I also imagine that Malfoy could know it just because... Oh, he might, yeah. He he likes that the house elves are there preparing his food and makes them miserable about it. I don't think we ever get an opportunity to explore Malfoy's thoughts on <laughs> the house elf population at Hogwarts. That, that's a good call, though, BJ. He's probably issued specific demands. Like, he's, kind of, he's probably the bastard that at, like, 2 a.m. wants a warm glass of milk or something. And sends it back because... It's not warm enough or, or too, too warm, warm. Yeah. or the wrong kind of milk. Yes. Mm-hmm. I wanted it pea needs milk. to be unicorn milk. <laughs> uh, BJ, I'm also going to agree with you that the description of the various objects that have been banned now from Hogwarts was great, though fanged frisbees is probably the most terrifying alliteration <laughs> I've encountered recently. And I say this as a, for- as a former Ultimate Frisbee player. Uh, Would good you have preferred th- floppy? No. In no use. No. <laughs> to neither throw or use. Uh, Mad-Eye Moody knows how to make an entrance to the point that he planned this shit. Mm-hmm. This, this man was just... I can picture him outside getting increasingly damp just waiting for the ideal bolt of lightning, <laughs> the ideal clap of thunder to then come in. Which, if that is true, it is remarkably revealing about his character beyond just simply the very wonderful description we get of this just gnarled burr of a man that is hobbling into this room also kind of a lazy wizard because i mean if you really want to make an entrance and you're a good wizard it it seems like it wouldn't be that hard (laughs) to just make the things happen that you want to happen no 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 it's got to be real it's got to feel organic this is a world of where anyone can conjure anything forever it's these magical moments of which just serendipitous where it happens that really matter uh in terms of also you know exploring wizard psychology the wizard thoughts on risk of death continue to be disconcerting to me. <laughs> Where everyone in the room is just overjoyed. Oh my god, they're bringing back the Triwizard Tournament. And, you know, Dumbledore somewhat buries the lead. Hey, we stopped it last time because, you know, hundreds died. And only Hermione in the room goes, oh, pardon, uh, repeat that, please. Excuse me? <laughs> when she brings it up again, I think it's either Fred or George just say, hey, it's not fun unless you have a risk of dying. I mean, this is kind of a... Uh... British attitude towards the war. Sure. Oh. So, I mean, I think I I have a feeling that there will be more and more World War II parallels mm. in the future. Yeah. Mm. And so I think that the, oh, the last time this squabble occurred or, you know, this competition between nations occurred, <laughs> there were some problems, but, but, you know, we won. So... It's fine. God, not, not, now I'm imagining that the Hogwarts reaction to a dragon is like, you know, the British reaction to a V1. It's just a bugger, and then just goes on with the day. Um, come back to that one. Uh, in terms of the rewards for the Triwizard Tournament, holy shit, that is not just pocket change. No, it is life-changing. Uh, I mean, I was going to add, I mean, if you're willing to answer now, do we have a relative idea of just how much money that is? Because that feels like a monstrous amount of currency. It, it is, like, that is enough money... Um, to, like, set you up for life. So, Good God. In relation to how much money Harry has... <laughs> it's, you know... <laughs> wh- wh- where does this rank? Like, is this a corner of his, oh. you know, massive vault? Yeah, I think so. Or... <laughs> okay, that, that, that was my feeling and my sort of memory of, like, Harry's hilarious wealth. <laughs> that he never uses and still doesn't seem to understand. It is, this story has such a different perspective when we view Harry as a one percenter. <laughs> He's a one percenter jock. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. 
<laughs> BJ, your rewrite read on this tale is kind of disturbing. <laughs> uh, you know, this isn't going to be really a question, but just practically speaking, why the mystery over who gets picked as a champion for each in, for each particular school? It's like if it is actually a competition, if you're putting mm-hmm. forward your oldest and best. They know that. This school's almost aggressive in its constant rankings and judgments of where students are. This feels like an element of randomness, an element of ambiguity that I'm going to presume, despite violating all established rules, despite having the kind of just so going against any parameters they put in place that in any real world they'd obviously just go, well, we can't do that. (laughs) Let's do a mulligan and try again that somehow Harry is going to be the guy. Because otherwise, he clearly wouldn't. If this was just purely administrative, purely statistical, this would be done. But if there's a, I've picked a neutral arbitrator to decide this, and they set all of these clear lap rules that mean that Harry can't, then I'm assuming... I'm <laughs> assuming... the neutral arbitrator because... <laughs> I don't think even Dumbledore death? in his most... <laughs> God... Blind to everything going on around him would call Snape neutral. So, uh, th- that is my theory I'm putting forward. Cause just because it, it seems like a setup to allow that to happen. Sure. Despite the fact that it shouldn't. Yeah. Sure. I mean, it'd be really funny if it was Malfoy. That'd be like the best thing ever. I'd, lo- I'd love that. I'd if Harry just has to watch and cheer Malfoy, great. I did tell you about the internet yeah. theory that book four is a transition book of the seven book series. Yeah. <laughs> Malfoy wait, is wait, now wait. the, the uh, hero. It's fine. <laughs> Yeah, that'd be a wonderful change-up. Final point for me, I really appreciated, this is a very small scene, but the the moment of Neville on the stairs. Yeah. Of where, Mm -hmm. going up the stairs, Neville, you know, he's got a bad memory, he steps in the, you know, the the is it a trick stair or something like that? And he falls through. And no one makes a big deal of it. All of his friends immediately go, oh, there you go, and just pick him up, and everyone just continues about their day. I I sometimes view myself as a bit of a Neville. (laughs) There's evidence for this. Uh, I really appreciate how much everyone else around him is just viewing him as part of the mm-hmm. group. That there's no ostracizing, there's no bullying, there's no making fun of, you know, oh god, Neville tripped again. It's just they carry on with their day. And even Neville, it's do- he still laments on occasion that, you know, oh, you know, I I, obviously I'm not going to be the one to be picked. But he still then says, but maybe I should try. And continues yeah. with the day. Neville's character arc is honestly kind of heartwarming, and I appreciate the further signs we get of it. Neville is, is just a good both- egg. In the world, yes. yeah, I think book four might be ne- like the book about Neville that we don't see. Mm. He's got things going on in the background. Yeah, yeah. Ne- ne- Neville's the dark horse candidate to be prefect at the end of the year. <laughs> well, that that wraps up my newbie's notes. Uh, Sarah, you kind of already told us who's going to win this time around for House Cup. Dennis still. In my mind, 100% the winner of the house points oh, yeah. for this chapter. Far and away. Far and away. Can't argue with uh, you there. Who is the loser? A loser, though? I mean, it's a little, you know, Fred and Hermione. Hermione is, in fact, the actual loser. Not only is she miffed <laughs> about the uh, the house elves being there, but, like, mm-hmm. more holistically in the world, even if it's not super believable, she didn't know something. Yeah. <laughs> Which is clearly also a part of her deep disturbance in this chapter. It's not it, it, not a great night for her. Um, although, to be fair, like, no one had a particularly bad chapter this time around. Like, we're back at Hogwarts and they ate a feast. It was pretty cool. So yeah. you, you, do set up, you do set up a fun read on the character, though, that Hermione's not actually pissed about slavery. She's pissed she didn't know about the slavery. And it is, she is now covering for her, her uh, discomfort by... 
launching this I mean, crusade. It would be a much more interesting book if uh, J.K. Rowling's retcon of Hermione was actually written in. <laughs> um, Spencer, I don't know if you know that like there was a vague retcon sort of where J.K. Rowling's like, I never specified anybody's skin color. Like, Hermione could totally be black. Mm-hmm. And if okay. she had written it that way, I think it could have been really a good oh. I was I was actually really, oh. I was thinking about that in rereading this chapter yeah. today. Um, that, like, if if that, like, yes, yes, there is certainly, like, a an opportunity for that to have been the case, but if that had been an intentional choice, this would have been an even more interesting subplot. Right, but it unfortunately wasn't, so. Yes. No. What can you do? I mean, it, it it's true. I, I can't remember her ever really describing Romani's skin color, mm-hmm. mostly just her bushy, bushy hair and teeth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but she takes pains to talk about other people's skin color at various points. That's true. So. That is true. Yeah. Like, but so, questions. Questions. Unless there are any preemptive quibbles with my house points awarding. No, I, no. I, I think we're on the same page when it comes to those Excellent. two, particularly Dennis. <laughs> Great, greatest day ever. That was that, that was the easy one of the bunch. Uh, how much can you tell us right now about how the Triwizard Tournament works, or is it better that we find out more as time goes on? Um, it, I, 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 the details I the first I've person got, to say abracadabra wins. <laughs> I mean, the, the details I got is that it's occurring between the three largest European schools of wizardry. Mm-hmm. Which we got conveniently yeah. introduced to at various points in earlier chapters in this book, yes. <laughs> I am shocked, shocked that that was why we were being named in that. Uh, the, they each present one champion. Yes. And they are given three tasks. Mm-hmm. Are these tasks fixed in stone? Uh, is this like, you know, written down in the histories? Or is this something that is purely thought up as they... they the tasks change... Every tournament. Um, I don't know if there are, um, I, I, you know, I don't know if there are like a general themes or like repeats in the tasks or whatever, but they, they do change every tournament. Um, they are meant to, te- like each of the three tests, certainly a wizard's ability and nerve, but in slightly different ways. Um, mm-hmm. And so they play to, they tend to play to different strengths in that way as well. Um, And there are a panel of judges who award points for each of the tasks. Um, We will meet that panel of judges later. We have met most, if not all of them already. So, (laughs) you know, there you go. Um, What else can I tell you without spoiling too much about it? The the I will say um, that the first two ta- we learned this when we learned a little bit more about the the tournament. I won't tell you what the tasks are, but the first two tasks are also complete surprises to the champions. They are not told what the tasks are going to be beforehand. Interesting. So no ability to prep either. Theoretically, yes. Hmm. And based on the description of a long litany of deaths that have otherwise colored the past history of this tournament. As you said, a certain degree of tension and will and being willing... To, what was the, you, you used a word to describe it, but the, the idea that they have to be able to um, overcome some kind of fear to really go through this task seems to be really a, a key characteristic. Yeah, it, 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 is, it, takes, it all takes a lot of nerve. That's the word, yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, cool. I mean, just, just the fact there are points is already going to be fun, just because apparently you can lose and still, or not be the one that wins the task, but still get some element of credit for it. Yeah, it's a, um, a little bit like the point system that we have developed for these recaps that hey. I still do not entirely understand, so... <laughs> uh, you don't need to. Um, we're just coming back again to it. So, with the other schools, are those going to be a constant thing moving forward? Hmm. Uh, no, we kind of get them in this book, and... Of course we do. Oh, that's disappointing. This they, is like I mean, Galdric's so, sword or whatever. Godric's sword. Yeah, we, we get them in this book. We do get a couple of the individuals again later. Mm-hmm. Um, we do hear... Uh, the, the other schools come up again in, like, other... In, like, Fantastic Beasts and that kind of subsidiary mm-hmm. se- series, but not in, not in this one. That was actually my next question. If I see whether we find any anything more about the inner workings of these other schools, because if they're the other three preeminent schools in Europe, they're you know equal and equal and equal and parallel to Hogwarts when we present. Um, not I mean not we don't get a lot of the inner workings, but like these delegations do come from the schools in this book, so we get to see a sort of small subsection of them, including the sort of Dumbledore headmaster corollary for both of them. Oh, nice. So you know that's and so you get a sense of the schools. But it's all within the context of Hogwarts, so it's a little, you know, um, not as much detail as I would like to have about these these other places. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it's sort of disappointing that there isn't like a like I'm I'm going to fill out the world and then keep people in. Yeah, they do. A lot of these sort of tertiary characters, especially, come and go pretty frequently. Hmm. Well, if if she wants to, and if your um, her current reputation maybe improves somewhat, I, I presume it sets up a her opportunity to do entirely separate series, just going on what were students doing at those schools in a given time. Yeah, topic. but then does she have like a weird French accent to the main character of Bobatons <laughs> the entire time? I am like, not reading that whole thing. <laughs> I w- I refuse. I will not do it. <laughs> I I'm actually just on that note. One last question for mm-hmm. me, but. Am I, am I remembering this correctly, or am I just purely assuming this, that Bopatons is a girl's school? It is a girl's school, yes. That was an interesting assumption that you just went with. Yeah, I... Because well, I don't think we got that. I don't think that, that it's been were, told to us either. There was a female student. It was the name. Mm-hmm. Bopatons just kind of screams French girl's school sure. tonight. Um, and I will Are say Are there that, no uh, French boy wizards? Durmstrang is, I believe, an all-boy school. Oh. That's super weird. Yeah, I don't so, know if, if, like, wizards that would have, like, geographically gone to Bobaton get shipped somewhere else. <laughs> and witches from Durmstrang, who would have gone to Durmstrang, get shipped somewhere else. I don't, we don't get any um, additional evidence that we... Bobaton is certainly an all-girls school. I don't remember if they specifically say that Durmstrang is an all-boys school or if we just never see any girls and we assume. <laughs> that is really unclear. interesting. Like, I can only imagine how just utterly pissed off French boys are. They have to go to go to Britain to go learn magic. <laughs> God forbid. I think, I think that's enough for me. Any further questions from you, BJ? Um, I think that's pretty much it for me as well. Um, I mean, I always have questions other and sundry questions, but... Should not be um, asked in the first place. Do we ever get to see the other, like, department classes, like... I really want to know what wizard astronomy is. We do get some astronomy, yes. It becomes plot relevant okay. in the fifth book. 
but not but not in this book. I don't remember if we actually get there or not. There might be some like vague mention of them going to an astronomy class. Um, I don't specifically I told- remember, but the fifth book, it's like a kind of a big thing. I was totally assuming it would be like when they introduced. Um, oh, I'm blanking on her name. Who, who is the uh, professor? Thank yeah. you. <laughs> it, it, it introduced her in the same book of when suddenly she's incredibly plot relevant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So we see astronomy later. But um, going into our next chapter, we have chapter 13, Mad Eye Moody, which, if you guys have your books in front of yes. you, I'm assuming that's the man himself. Indeed, it is. <laughs> And he does look like he has been carved from a block of wood. That so man's scars it, have stories. Mm-hmm. Is the uh, movie interpretation at all similar? The movie interpretation is different, is actually pretty different um, from this picture. I mean, the, the character is gotcha. very similar in mm-hmm. how it's written. I'm trying to remember exactly who plays it because I believe someone um, extremely recognizable plays it. Brendan Gleeson. Mm-hmm. Really? Plays Mad-Eye Moody. Do, do, do they make him up a bit? Because I, 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 I don't picture him that way. Uh, yes. He has, in the, in the movie... Um, can I show this? I, he has makeup. I realize that, like, oh. we have Spencer sto- tried thought, to stop yeah. you from having like pictures from the movies in your head while reading these books, but I actually like think this one's pretty good. So I'm gonna hold this up. I could just hold on. Where's the? There it is. There it is. <laughs> hmm. Well, it works. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not, it's not really what I'm getting from the text, it, though. The, right. the movie I, version of Mad Eye Moody has like just a nuttier energy. As opposed to the kind of darker dark. energy that comes yeah. in the book. Um, he's still um, dark, but it's a, a little bit more, like, madcap off his rocker. Someone I who would be fighting this, with trash cans. <laughs> right. And so I think this is a little bit, like, the movie presentation is a little bit more like, what's an easy way to do the makeup rather than, like, weirdly replaced body parts yeah. wizard? Yeah. What? I mean... In the image you showed, it looked like he was almost just wearing that, that his other eye was like an eye patch kind of thing. It is being right. held that, that, in by a thing around his that, face. That, that's not from here. That, that's no. Just, Spencer, easy makeup choices. <laughs> I get fine. you. I get, I get you. I get you. I'm just making sure I didn't read it wrong. You didn't. Okay. Well, um, BJ, as we prepare our review through Chapter 13, if people are desperate for more material before they get there, where can they find it? Um, you can find all of our content on mangumtalks.com. Um, and uh, I hear tell that there was a fairly recent finishing of The Queen's Gambit. Um, and I don't know, what are you doing next, mate? <laughs> you know, PJ, you've been so successful in making me fear your puns that I almost just brace myself for when they're coming. <laughs> I don't know what form it's going to happen. I don't know where it's going to be snuck in. But I appreciate when you just go the obvious route. Because then I can just... <laughs> sigh and just let out the tension. I mean, to a certain extent, you know, I just need to check it off and every time I like, no, throw no, it back to no, you. No, 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 you were done. You were done. You, you, already, you already pulled it. You know, Spencer, this I, is I actually mean, you're, you're your just a pawn in my dastardly scheme, Spencer. Plugs that we don't normally do on Pottering Around. You have brought this I on thought, yourself. I was encouraged to provide more marketing. <laughs> but, Spencer, you are doing something very cool on Mangum Talks TV next 
Please we, tell us a little bit about it. We're combining a certain element of Mangum Reads and Mangum Talks TV in that uh, I've recently gotten Lee into reading John Grisham, which was an important series of, well, important author with a hell of a lot of books in my childhood, that I like to describe as being the perfect airplane novel author. It, it is a wonderful, mm-hmm. it's a, a well-written page turner uh, for that category. Lee has devoured, like, Sarah, how many at this point has he just consumed? Oh, God, I, I think he's on at least a book and a half a week track at this point. Jesus yes. Christ. Uh, so having, you know, been overjoyed to see that he's liking those, we figured there's quite a few movie adaptations that have done of John Grisham of widely varying quality, <laughs> but there's several good ones that are out there too. So we decided to start with um, a recap and review of the first of the John Grisham novels he read, The Rainmaker, which is always, which is a movie adaptation I always quite enjoyed and near and dear to my heart. So we will be switching up the roles of where I will be providing the movie recap, and Lee, having recently read the books, will be providing the expert book-based commentary, as well as going on an extended spiel on the legal elements presented in the film, given his increasingly extensive background with that subject as part of his profession lately. So we're going to have quite a bit of fun with that, and we're hoping our audience will too. I am very much looking cool. forward to real lawyer, fake lawyer. Um, so It'll be a lot of fun. This- <laughs> Thank you, Sarah. You just named that segment. Perfect. (laughs) Um, So this has been fun, guys. I'm excited to come back and talk more about Mad-Eye Moody. As am I. Till then, y'all.